share slash ask for some prayer requests this morning. Um, ask for some prayers. This is my request. Uh, Anna, what you had to say about this morning about these last couple of years being really difficult, uh, a lot of us can can relate to that for sure. And I think uh, I, I'm going to share just briefly about and maybe even vaguely about some struggles that I've had over the past couple of years. And that has to do with just being in ministry in general, and that's that's what my prayers are going to be about, and and just um, how sometimes being in ministry is difficult. <laughs> I remember when I first started. I've been in I've been doing ministry for a long time now, sixteen years or something like that overall. And I remember when I first started, my mentor and boss at the time, Mike Stroud, who and and has told me this, told me then, and told me. Uh, over the years that you have to get a, a thick skin to do ministry and I remember at times in the midst of being like in these really hard times in ministry <laughs> I would kind of push back and maybe even yell back sometimes like I don't want to have a thick skin this isn't the way church is supposed to be this is like we're supposed to love each other and everything's supposed to be good and happy all the time and it's it is absolutely not and I've realized that over the years and it's and it's I, I think this last year I've realized now some of the scars that I've not allowed to heal up and 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 it's carried over into all areas of my life honestly it's it's carried over into um, church life it's carried over into my family life it's carried over into a lot of areas and and I don't really fully know how to deal with that because I I help people a lot I mean I I'm, I get asked to do a lot and, and people rely on me a lot and I love that you know I love being a pastor I love um giving out advice, and I love, like, leading people spiritually and all that, but one thing I don't do well is ask for and receive help very well, and and that's kind of what I'm asking for this morning, but a couple years ago, I had one of my staff members come to me and say, hey, I had a dream about the situation that's going on in our ministry right now, and, and there are some transitions that were that were going on at the time, and, and um, I'm definitely not going to go into a lot of the details. I, I have with other people. John King has heard me talk a lot about these things over the years and, and uh, Mike Stroud and several others. But but they came to me and they said, all right, we're going through a lot of transitions right now. And at the other side of this, I had a dream that you were this this animal. And at the other side of this, this I was an animal in the dream. I don't know, like, the... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even remember what animal it was. But, but essentially they said, this animal that, that I think that you represent is going to end up wounded on the other side of this thing. Well, here we are on the other side of this thing, and they were absolutely right. I'm, I'm wounded in a lot of ways. And it's, I don't really fully know what to do about that because, I, again, people come to me and they say, I'm wounded. And I'm like, okay, here, let's pray through this and let's do this. But when it comes to me, I, I recognize, like, I'm, I really am terrible at taking that same advice. Uh, I do a lot of premarital counseling, and one of the things I talk about is you have these fear dances in your marriages. And oftentimes you have one person who has this, this fear. You have a core fear that is triggered, and then when that core fear is triggered, you have a reaction. And your reaction oftentimes triggers the core fear of your partner, and then you get in this circle, this circle, right? So for me, my core fear is the fear of failure. And when I feel like I'm failing, I shut down. Um, I won't get into the marriage part of that, but Amanda is not that way at all. And so we, we get lots of fear dances of like, Amanda's hit this thing head on. But that's what I've done for the last year and a half is I have felt like a failure and I'm not, I know that I'm not, but I've felt so much like a failure in ministry. And what I've done is just shut down and I've shut a lot of people out. Um, I've shut you all out and, and I, I haven't been here as much and um, I, I still do my job and I, I feel like I do it well, but the problem is like I talk, this whole last semester I was talking about how important the community is, how important this community is that you have in campus ministry, how important it is to have this body and, and we have done an amazing job of building the body up and at the same time I feel like I'm not dying on the inside, but I feel like I'm not that I'm not there with you. You know what I mean? And so I need prayers about how to be better about that, how to open up more, how to not just shut down when I feel like a failure. Uh, I, again, I'm kind of, I've worked through these things of feeling like a failure because I know that I'm not. I can see absolutely the ways that God has used me 
over the years in ministry, and I don't doubt that, but it's these wounds that I've taken on the other side that I need to let heal up, and I don't know how to do that. And so I need prayers also for Amanda and the boys because they have taken the brunt of this from me a lot of times, and um, yeah, I'm sorry. That, that, is, that is me. You'd like to gather around. Father, we praise you for Dean and his transparency. It saddens us a bit that he's carried this load so long without more assistance from us and yet we're not piling on him for withholding or ourselves for not knowing but we thank you for the awareness that more of us have Lord as we look at the life of Jesus in the gospels we know that ministry is hard at times he was lonely. At times everyone was looking for something from him and he had to separate himself. So uh, we acknowledge that doing your will comes at a high price. And we thank you for Dean and Amanda and their willingness to give again and again and again. Lord, today we pray that your Holy Spirit will touch him in new and fresh ways and that any residual wounds will be healed. Father, we know there will be scars and Jesus has led the way. We know that when we see him that first time with our eyes, our resurrected eyes, there'll be nail prints in his hands and his feet. Father, I don't understand that with a spiritual body, but it's our reminder that wounds are painful. And there's a long-lasting memory connected to them. But we also know prior to that resurrection that they prepare us and equip us to serve in that high priestly role, that intermediary role of understanding and being compassionate and generous and extending grace to other people who are wounded and broken. So, Father, I pray that you'll continue to empower Dean to minister your love on the campus of MTSU. I pray, Father, for Amanda and his sons. I thank you for their love for him and the measure of grace they extend and the accountability that those differences bring. We rejoice in ways you prepare and equip us for ministry. And so, Father, we anticipate more fruit, much fruit, fruit that lasts. And we give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name, let all who agree say amen. It probably doesn't help that Dean spends a lot of time with me, so, jeez, sorry, buddy, I love you, but 
You stuck with me for a while, I think. Jeez. Uh, if y'all want to turn to Acts 19, I'm just trying to listen to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Uh, seems there's a lot of similarities in what He's speaking, and that's it's really one of our big jobs. So why we get together, isn't it? To listen to the Holy Spirit's voice, to hear what He's speaking to us, then to f- turn around and obey and and, and do what He says. <clears throat> um, you can pull, start pulling up the first slide if you want to, but before we, before we get there, this has been on my heart. This was on my heart a couple weeks ago before I taught on, on Philippians last week. Um, I've got a, a, a question that I want to ask, and I'm going to wait till the very end to ask it. I know a few of you know. Megan knows because she asked what we're, we're going to be preaching on so that she can work on the songs and, and pray through those. Um, but actually, it started with a prayer meeting with John and... Adam and some guys, and someone asked a question that made me start thinking, and I've been thinking about it for about a month now. Uh, so I'm just going to leave you suspended, right? That's, that's what a good story does. It makes you go, well, I want to hear more. The problem with this is if the question's not that great, then you're like, wow, you just built a whole, up, whole, whole lot up for no reason, John. You guys look really tired today. Do I need to like do something really weird that makes you all laugh or, or do something? Yeah. No. <laughs> It's weird because I don't want to say, like, there's uh, the <clears throat> the elder, like, not old, like, the older people are like, don't do it, and the young people are like, you need to do it right now. I don't know. And I'm caught in the middle. I'm going to call myself in the middle, I guess. One foot in, one foot out. Um, but really, a lot of this has me thinking because we've been spending time in prayer, and I just have just this growing heart for our city, and... I understand like what Dean's talking about. Like I recognized this morning, I was thinking before I even knew what he was going to sh- share is that I've experienced, you guys ever get like a little disillusioned with the church and like what the impact we feel like, and I'm including myself in that, like not like, you know, and, like going, can we really make much of a difference? And I think that's something the enemy loves to do too, is to whisper, you're not making a difference. You're not making a difference. And oftentimes at the end of the year, when I'm looking back and reflecting, and I'm, I'm very self-critical, but the Lord try, brings those positives. Like, look at this person's life. Look at this person's life that's changed. Look at how this person has grown, and which is super, super, super encouraging. Um, but I have, I've, I've been, uh, you know, I think I've been like that the last, you know, year or two. That's something that the Lord has just really been encouraging me this year. I said, John, you used to be full of a little more faith that my kingdom mattered right now <laughs> and that you can really make a difference. And I was like, man, Lord, you're right. Like, not that I don't believe and like that I spend every day doing it, but there was just some, this level of me just believing, man, the kingdom of God coming near to us stinking matters. And it matters for Murfreesboro and it matters for our families and it matters for our city. And I've gotten to a point where I've sometimes allowed to go kind of get in the ministry, um, I don't know, go through the motions sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of what I'm talking about today. It's what I'm sharing. All right. So let's go to Acts 19, as I said, and let's look at the church in Ephesus because we're going to go at the end to the letter that Jesus wrote through John to the church in Ephesus. And there's some really good stuff in there. I'm going to start in verse 19, but by the way, chapter 19, um, but by the way, Apollos was actually in Ephesus doing some things before this takes place. So context, Greg will say, remember that. Paul wasn't the first one who arrived in Ephesus and by any stretch of the imagination. This was probably written like 54, 55 or something. So this is, you know, whatever, 20-something year, 20 years-ish after Jesus um, died and resurrected. Uh, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we're just going to kind of look through like what took place here. I will go ahead and like point to the slide. And this is actually the seven churches that that God writes to in the in Revelation. We're not going to go through all of them again, just Ephesus. But you can see where Ephesus was. It was a port city. It was the most prominent of all these cities. Like People came here to trade. Uh, there were definitely different temples. And we're going to read in here the temple of Artemis. The goddess, the, goddess, the goddess Artemis was huge. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And people from all over Asia would travel to this, to see this, this great temple. So this was like, you know... This was like, you know, we've kind of become, even though like Nashville, like this southeast people want to come here, right? They want to come here for the honky tonks. 
I don't know. Does anyone ever go to the honky tonks around here? No, none of us. Do you? No, none of us. Get, like we're all like, no, I don't think so. But people like that, right? <clears throat> people would flood the city for trade, like I said, and, and, and to see these temples and to worship Artemis and these things. So this was a super metropolitan area. So it makes sense that Paul would go here because we're going to see here that because he influenced Ephesus and of course some of the other places. He would, he, would, he would influence Asia by influencing one of the most prominent, or the most prominent city there. So it says that um, Paul goes to Ephesus. And again, I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to give the, the, the high level a little bit overview. When he goes to Ephesus, most of the time when he goes to cities, he goes straight to the synagogues. Have you all recognized that? When it says Paul goes here, he goes to synagogue. Here he does a little something different. It says he looks for disciples in the city. All right? And he finds these disciples, and these disciples were probably folks that were taught or influenced by Apollos. Because earlier, if you look back in chapter 19, it says that Apollos only knew the baptism of John. And this is one of the things that Paul recognizes with these disciples is they're unsure, like, Holy Spirit, what's going on with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's been, they don't have any idea the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Really interesting moment here. Paul enters the city with a pretty big bang. Like, he gets to the city, he finds disciples. He baptizes them now in the name of Jesus because they've only been in John's baptism. Then he lays hands on them. They start speaking in tongues and prophesying. That's a pretty good intro to a city, huh? Come on, let's go, man. Let's go. I love it. I love it. And there's 12 of them that this takes place to. After he does that, if you look in in verse 8, he goes and he enters into a synagogue. So he kind of goes into his same routine, and he spends three months, right? Yeah, he spends about three months, it says, he spoke boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. So Paul would get into the synagogue, and that's the cool thing I like about Jewish people, man, is they don't mind arguing with each other. I love it. Like, it's, like at first, you might be like, man, I don't know, because like, we're in the South. We try to be super nice to people and stuff, and they're like, oh, like, I mean, let's argue. And I've seen it. Like, when they go to, like, they'll argue and then just hug each other and move on. Like, they like, like make me prove my point, bro. Like, you, may, you better prove your point. I think that, that's kind of healthy. And so that's what he does. Paul goes in there and, you know, he argues uh, persuasively about the kingdom of God. And he's arguing about Jesus being the Lord and the king and all these things, of course. And then in verse 9, it says, When some stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way, which is what they call Jesus and his followers the way. You'll see that multiple times here. Um, before the congregation, he left them, taking the disciples with them, and argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So if you go to the next slide, I just want to show some pictures of Ephesus because I want us to get away from this as like a fairy tale or a cartoon in our minds and go, this was real. Like these are, this is the streets of Ephesus. Paul really walked here. Paul found disciples here. He not only found disciples here, he went and he argued in, in the synagogue here. And then he went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which people aren't really sure where that is. All right, go to the next slide if you want to. This is their, their grand, their library of Celsus. This is like one of the big attractions to go to. I really would love to. Anyone been to Ephesus? Dang. Yes? Man. No, it's, I'm, I'm jelly. I'm jealous. No, go to the next slide. This is going to come into play. They had a hu- this huge amphitheater, this theater that they had out here. This is going to come into play, okay? So I just wanted to show a few slides as we're talking about this so we can get to know, and then you can go back to the, I mean, go to the next slide if you want to. We can kind of picture Paul in this city going to the synagogue, then going, all right, that's fine. I'm going to go to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And it says that he continued there for two years. So Paul sometimes stays places that not t- super long, but here's a pretty lengthy stay for him. All right, so in this lecture hall, they had scholars and people around, and they would talk about gods and different things. And Paul thought, well, what a great place to go. I'm going to share about the way. I'm going to share about the kingdom. And apparently, it was having a pretty big impact on the city. So pretty good move by Paul. It says in that verse 10, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Remember, this is a city people flocked to, right? This is a city people came to. And when they, they came, they would come and they would listen to this Paul sharing about the kingdom of God in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. We're going to see here in a minute how much of an impact Paul and the disciples, Apollos, these people had on this city. It's just incredible. It's, it's, bring, it's brought me a lot of encouragement this week to go, we can do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we can have a tremendous impact here on our city. Verse 11 has us crazy cool story where it says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that 
when handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched, that touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Isn't that interesting? It's wild, isn't it? I've, I've really thought, like, I wonder what was going on here. Was it like, was he in such the glory of God? It was like coming out of him? Was their faith that they had when they received these handkerchiefs? And I'm going like, are they trusting in a handkerchief for Jesus? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, but it was happening, and they were passing him around. Could you imagine someone having a demon and just like, hey, touch this? And they're like, whoa! And this demon comes out like, that's what, like, crazy stuff is happening. People are being healed. One thing that, that as I'm reading through this, what I'm recognizing is there is a group of people who are dedicated to making the kingdom of God known. And this didn't happen overnight, right? The great things didn't, this happened through people being steady through people saying, no, we're, we're going to do these things. You see Paul, you know, finding disciples. You see him in synagogue. You see him in the, in the uh, lecture hall of Tyrannus. You see uh, miracles taking place. You even see this, I, this story of Ephesus is really fun. Like, there's just interesting things. You see this group of uh, itinerant exorcists that are Jewish guys that are, they go around to exorcise demons. So you see this contrast in like, the power of Jesus when you have when you're you're walking in that authority and power like a, a, na- a napkin or something like boom the demon comes out then you see these people who decide they're going to go well man there's some cool stuff happening with Paul let me give that a shot and so they decide to say come out in the name of Jesus who Paul who Paul preaches and the demons like I know Paul that's kind of interesting isn't it I know Jesus but I don't know you. And then he jumps on them and beats them up, and seven of them run out naked. <laughs> I could go through a whole thing. Like, I've, that's really been racking my mind about spiritual authority and different things like that. Like, I've really been thinking about that. Like, are, am I known in, in, in the spirit realm? Like, would the demons go, well, I know John, or would they be like, who are you? Who are you, bro? Like, we know Paul is like laying down his life and going crazy for the kingdom of God, and in that, the demons know, oh, I know this guy. I know him. I'm not messing around with Paul. But it says that when that took place in verse 17, it says, when this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, everyone was awestruck and the name of Jesus was praised. All God is, the Holy Spirit is doing all these powerful things and it's all coming together. And you read about all of this and then verse Uh, 18 shows up and it says and many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices a number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly when the value of these books was calculated it was found to come to some 50,000 silver coins so the word of the lord grew mightily and prevailed there was such an impact this group of people were having on the city these people that had practiced magic were coming into the kingdom and going, you know what, I'm not even going to sell these books. These, these are evil. I'm going to burn these suckers. And they're burning up things that are so valuable. It's just, I get goose. I mean, I really do. I just, I'm an awestruck at what God was doing through just a group of people who said, yes, like I'll, 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 I'll dedicate myself to you and I'll do what you say. Could you imagine like places in Murfreesboro shutting down that had pornography or different shops just going, we... We can't even make any money with this anymore. And what's so crazy is we're going to kind of at towards the end here in Ephesus, we're going to read that Paul wasn't like picketing the temple of Artemis. Paul wasn't, uh, Paul was just proclaiming the kingdom and letting Jesus change people's lives and the Holy Spirit. And they were stopping the things that were not healthy for them to do, right? I, I think it's beautiful. It's just incredible. And then what happens, as it says, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And then it's going to tell some challenges that the church had, right? And so if we're making a difference, and when we're making a difference in people's lives and stuff, there are going to be challenges, heads up, that's going to happen. There are going to be people that aren't going to like, you know, the impact Dean's making on the campus or whatever it may be. Paul encourages me to have a little tougher skin. I feel you, Dean. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so tired of this. The tough, trying to have, having to put tough skin on. Not y'all. Y'all have been really good. But there are situations in ministry in general. Verse 23 says, uh, I'm skipping a little bit. About that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. 
a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. So if you go to the next slide, this is a, an artist rendering of what the temple of Artemis possibly looked like, which again, it was one of the seven ancient one, one seven wonders of the ancient world. So people from everywhere came to this place. I, I just would love to see some of this face. I just like I'm going through looking at these ruins and I get excited about looking at them. But man, how incredible would it be to go and like walk the streets of Ephesus whenever it was popping. So a silversmith that made silver shrines, it says, <clears throat> and it brought them no little business. I'm in verse 25. Now these, these he gathered together. So he gathers all these people together with workers of the same trade and said, men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only in Ephesus, this is interesting, not only in Ephesus, but also, almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So the impact that Paul's having here in Ephesus is so strong and in his travels that people in this whole of Asia, wouldn't, that, wouldn't it be incredible to hear people in Smyrna and Laverne and Nashville hear about what the church, and I'm not talking about Stones River, I'm talking about the church in Murfreesboro is doing, the impact, the love, the the, the justice that they're seeing, all these beautiful pictures just like bringing the kingdom of God and allowing it to flow through us and Jesus take up his, his, his rulership here. I would love it. To, I would love to see things like this. And then he goes on to say, and there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but that also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia, right? So all Asia's coming around and the world to worship her. So all these people from Asia and all around the world are worshiping this goddess of Artemis, the goddess of the hunt is kind of how she started. She was the daughter of Zeus and Leto, if anyone is interested in that stuff. So what happens? In verse 28 it says, When they heard this, they were enraged and shouted, Great is Artemis of the, of the Ephesians. So basically what happens is a mini riot starts to break out. Right? So he's gathered all these people. He's got them all drunk. This, you know, in such a riot breaks out that it says somewhere in here, I don't know, that many of them didn't even know why they were there. So if you go to the next slide, they're going to this theater. And I thought, you know, you read this and you're like, well, how did that happen? You're like, have you been on social media lately? <laughs> have you turned on the news? You ever find yourself getting angry and ever going, what am I angry about? Oh, look at everyone's like dead silent. Like, that ain't never happened to me. Well, you all need to do some more self-reflection. I was listening to a lot of political talk radio in my early 20s until all of a sudden, and again, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad to do it or anything, but I was doing it because what it was doing to me, I didn't like. I took a step back, and there was something, and I'm not even going to mention it because I know someone will get offended, um, something on there that I was getting all angry about. And then I felt God said, why are you so angry about that? That ain't even a big deal. And I'm like, it isn't a big deal. <laughs> Why am I so, like, there might be things to get upset about, but that wasn't one of them. And so I understand what it was like probably to be in this mob, and you're like, what's going on? And some people are probably there like a car wreck to see what's happening, and some are there getting angry. They probably don't even know why they're getting angry because their friends are angry, and that friend's angry, and this, you know, mob is going on, this riot's taking place. Nothing's changed, right? Ecclesiastes. <laughs> we do the same thing. I've seen it online so many times, people, these Twitter mobs just attack somebody, and I'm like, that's not even what they were saying. Like, you're, you, can take a, you can take a statement or anything way out of context, Greg, and you can make anyone say anything, right? And these people go and attack people, and you're like, oh my gosh. 32, where it says that. Thank you. Meanwhile, some of them were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> oh my gosh, just to be there. It also says what they do is they grab Gaius and Aristarchus. And Paul tries to go. And they're like, no, no, no. The disciples are saying, Paul, you're not allowed to go. You're not allowed to go. Because Paul's like, hey man, it's rumbling. Let's go, baby. I love, man, that guy was a fireball. I don't know if I would have liked him. I don't know. We'll see. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think sometimes I'm like, heck yeah, Paul. And sometimes I'm like, bro. Because he was just, he's just ready to go. 
So they all are shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians and all these things. And they end up, to make a long story short, uh, it's not even that long of a story, but that's, I guess it's a saying that we say. The town clerk finally gets up and goes, like, you all are in danger of being charged with rioting. But one thing that I think is interesting is in verse uh, 37, this clerk says, um, you brought these men here who are neither temple robbers or, nor blasphemers of our goddess. So what I said earlier, like Paul wasn't going around going, you know, let's pick at the, the temple of Artemis, you know, like we might do or whatever. He was there proclaiming the kingdom. People's hearts are being changed, and they were saying, well, I don't know. What's going on? These, I guess, you know, he did say that the gods made with hands are not real gods. Why? Because he's teaching about the actual true God. What an impact, right? I mean, I just, oh, man, I stand back, and I just think of the people burning the books. I think of these people being filled with the Holy Spirit and these people prophesying and, and people being healed and all these things taking place, and I'm just like, man, that's incredible. And it's bringing me some more encouragement to say that God can use us to do it too. Like, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be a hype man, but I'm, I mean, like, he can all right, we don't have to, I don't have to run around the building and go, yeah, let's go, guys. No, I'm just being like legit. If we, if, if we dedicate ourselves to the Lord and say, and come together, because this is one thing, thinking of a whole city is overwhelming, all right? Or maybe at first it, was, it wasn't to me. Then I started thinking, wow, a lot is going to have to change <laughs> if we want to really see God's kingdom moving. And that's not to discount what God's already doing here by any stretch. Um, but then I remember Jesus, and like he had to change the world, and what did he do? He just got 12 guys together that got serious. <laughs> 12 guys, right? And a, a lot of amazing women that followed and prayed and supported him. But like, it's just this, it's this reality that like, if we can just come together, if we can get together and say, we want to serve our city, we want to see the kingdom of God come in a powerful way, that God really can. God really can do some amazing things. If you go to the next slide, y'all can turn to Revelation chapter 1 real quick. Go again. There we go. I just, just you can just leave it back on this. So this is what God's been it's been banging around in my mind, and I wanted to read that number one to bring encouragement. Maybe if I'm not, if it's only to myself, I'm it was worth it <laughs> to give myself like a little pick me up of let's re-energize, let's do this thing. We can do it. No, Derek's nodding. He's ready to go. Seth and Derek are fi- they're fired up back there. They're ready to go, right? <laughs> I love being around younger people that have way more energy than I do. I fell asleep at seven thirty last two nights ago. My wife wanted to play a board game with me. I couldn't even stay awake to do that. Seth and Derek are like, "What are you doing, bro? Come on, man. Let's get out. Let's go." <sighs> okay. But not only to encourage us, but for us to have some context to this letter that <clears throat> that God is going to write. I'm going to start in verse 12 of chapter 1 real quick. And this isn't very long. Um, John, exiled on the island of Patmos, hears this voice saying, write this in a book. Write this, write this letter to the seven churches of Asia, basically. In verse 12 it says, chapter 1, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Like, all right, I'm going to go slow like this because this is like, this is gives me chills just like thinking of this this image and i'm thinking that john is like trying his best to write this the best way he can (laughs) trying to describe something so like describing a sunset like it's fiery it's you know you're trying your best to describe something that's really hard to describe in verse 13 it says and in the midst of the lampstands i saw one like the son of man what's that from daniel yay all right clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair, head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters." In his right hand he held the seven he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sunning sun shining in full force. How can you you can't look at that? Like can you imagine like oh my god I just cannot imagine being there in this 
and, and John is exiled. Think of like he could be thinking of, man, how am I making a difference? What's going on right now? And all of a sudden he has this vision where he sees this. And I think about this. This was uh, the disciple John, I believe. Some people argue that it was a different John. I would say this is one of the disciple John who leaned on Jesus' breast, who spent time with Jesus, who walked with Jesus for years. And yet when he sees Jesus in his glory, what happens? When I saw him, I fell at, at his feet as though dead. Like, there is just this awesomeness of God that I don't know if any of us could even really come close to wrapping our mind around. And that brings me comfort. <laughs> it also makes me go, this is real. Like, the things he wants me to do, this is not a game. Like, this is an awesome God. <laughs> this is a glorious God. And I think that this is really crucial as he writes these letters to the churches to recognize this is who it comes from. This is the God of the cosmos. This, is not a, like, this isn't a game. This isn't a, a cartoon. This is a God that has a sword coming out of his mouth whose hair is white like wool and his eyes are like, he's just doing his best to describe this like a flame of fire. And it says he falls to the ground as though dead, but in, the, in verse 17 says, but he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and last. Can you imagine hearing these words from Jesus? <laughs> like a rushing uh, waters for him even saying, I mean, I don't, how, I don't know if I could, how could you stand? You know, just hearing God speak these words, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Wow. And then he gives him something to do. He says, now write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the mystery of the seven gold, the golden lampstand. So he's going to tell right now. He's going to explain this. Uh, he says the seven stars are the angels or messengers, heavenly messengers or whatever, of the, of the seven churches. So these seven churches that are on this map here, the stars represent the messengers to those churches. And the seven lampstands, which is important, are the seven churches. All right? So when he writes these letters, a couple things before we read this. Number one is they pretty much all have the same format. They're almost identical the way he writes, writes these out. Two is he doesn't write to the church in Ephesus that meets in Apollo's home. All right? Like Paul, Paul writes, and, he, and there's times whenever he says things like that, he's writing to the city right here. He's writing, like, and we, he's writing to the city of Ephesus, to all the believers in Ephesus, right? And you know that there's, there's no way that they didn't have different places, different gatherings, different meetings in different homes, but there was, there's a sense of he's writing to the city, to the city. And that's really struck me. That's really struck me. What does he want to say to the city of Ephesus after all the stuff that we've seen? Now, this is probably written minimal, minimally 20 years-ish after Paul visits Ephesus, to 40 to 50 years, depending on how, whatever, when do you think it was, this letter was written? But not that long after. I mean, the older you get, the more you realize 20 years wasn't that long ago. <sighs> 2002, jeez. <sighs> All right, so they all start off with the same intro. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, or it'll say to the church in Smyrna, or whatever. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is saying he walks among the churches. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that incredible to think about? Is it scary? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's just interesting. Does, does Jesus walks among the church of Murfreesboro, like, see what's going on? Jesus walks in the church of Smyrna, like, like he says, I walk among, among the lampstands, which are the churches. He begins all these letters uh, with, this, with him commending them for some things, all right? So what does he tell the church of Ephesus some 20, 30 years later after, you know, Paul has, has, has left? He says, I know your works your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers, and you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. So they were going through some persecutions. I mean, we even see it 
in the when you know when they're bringing Aristarchus and them in front of the theater, right? They're coming against them. And one of the things he's going to encourage is that you have patient endurance, which is something encouraging for me to have because I don't think we have much patience in anything, do we? <laughs> Our, we? We can get whatever we want, whatever we want, pretty much. But God, God, this is God writing, this is Jesus writing to the church, to his church, saying, you have patient endurance, and I, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that patient endurance comes through spending time with God and His Word and like all these things so that we're not wishy-washy over here one day and over there one day and this happening. Like, it's that relational aspect and walking in obedience to His Word and what He's calling us to do. And He commends them for that and for their works, their, for the toil that they're, that they're, 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 through this patient endurance, through the sufferings that they have. And maybe God would say that to us. You never know. Like, hey, you're going through tough times and you're enduring it well. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you say we stink at it. I don't know. I guess I could sit up here and hypothetical all day long. Hypothetical. I'd like to ask more questions than give answers, I think, I guess, this morning. <clears throat> he says, you don't tolerate evildoers. That's him commending him. And I, and I think that that's interesting, too, because I, I, I know that some of us have been part of churches and stuff that are so, uh, people would say maybe judgmental, so whatever, that we've swung to this fence to where we actually kind of are afraid to say anything is bad. <laughs> and that we, that like, hey, that's probably unhealthy for this person to be spreading this in the church gathering. But he says, listen, like, here's some letter of, of uh, here's something to be commended by. You're not tolerating the evildoers. You know, you have you have the hard conversations you have to have with people whenever they need to be had. That's great job. Apparently, there were people who were false apostles that were coming into the city and trying to spread, you know, whatever they were trying to spread or trying to lift themselves up to be somebody. And he says, listen, you guys have done a really good job of identifying those people and not listening to them. Now, this doesn't mean that we become a YouTube channel that does heresy hunters. Have you guys ever seen those things? Good Lord, Jesus, have mercy on their souls. Have you seen those? Man? Like, there's, go to, you can go to YouTube channels where they have made everyone a heretic. Like, I don't matter. They will take everything out of context. And like this person, I'm like, does anyone believe in the Lord Jesus? <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm serious. Or there's whole ministries around this, not just you two. Like, there's whole ministries around calling out false prophets and everybody is a false prophet. And I'm like, man. <sighs> I don't think God's calling us to do that. But God is calling us to be able to identify whenever someone's spreading a message or exalting him or herself whenever they shouldn't be, and to be able to say as a body, and I want us to think about this as a church, as a Murfreesboro church, be able to, to say, to, to do what needs to be done. He commends them for it. He says, that's great. He says, I know, and he encourages them again, I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. So they care about the name of Jesus. And because of the name of Jesus and their passion for his name, they're enduring difficult things. It kind of reminds me of when Paul is talking to the Corinthians and says, you guys are having all these lawsuits among yourselves. You're going to court. Wouldn't it be better that you just, you know, don't have justice than blaspheme the name of Jesus in front of the Gentiles? Like, there was, a, a, there was an honor for Jesus' name, it looks like they had. Because we are his representatives. We are the representatives of, of his kingdom. And he says, you're doing well with that. Like, you're patiently enduring. You care about the name of Jesus. And then there's a but, which almost all the letters, except for, I think, Smyrna, has a but. But I have this against you. Don't we love those? You ever have those people that are like, hey, buddy, you're so good at this and that and this and that, but let me tell you something. I'd be like, dang it. But I thought about that, but God does it. So maybe it's, like, maybe it's not a bad str a way to like actually say, hey, i got to talk to you about something. But I'm not, there's a lot of good, too. Like, don't beat yourself up totally. But there's a big but here. Like, I'll just be real. All right, so if anyone knows, there's a big but in scriptures. Sorry. My wife was looking at something, and I just wanted to make sure that she looked up at me. If I was reading the word. But I have this against you. And this is interesting. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. So one of the reasons I wanted to read Paul and Apollos and them, that, and this may even go back before them, 
But there was a love that they had at first that even though they were able to identify false prophets, even though they were patiently enduring, even though they cared about the name of Jesus, and it was important to them, Jesus is writing and saying, you had a love at first that you've abandoned. And I worry that the Lord has, could, could write that to me if he was writing a personal letter sometimes. We're like, you're going through the motions, and you are doing good things, but you've abandoned your first love. And he doesn't respond here and say, and I think through this because I think of like that first love that was flipping a city right side up. <laughs> that first love that had them going into the lecture halls and, and had them passing out cloths so that people could be healed. And all these things are taking place and the city is being turned uh, right side up for the kingdom. And apparently, maybe they've, just, maybe they've just kind of been doing church and enduring. You know, like I'm doing it, we're enduring, we care about the name of Jesus, and all those things, God's like, that's good. But where's that love? Where's that fire that you had at first? What does he mean by that? He actually even shares here does he mean sing me songs about how much you love me and stuff? No, he says, he says, remember then, this is verse 5, remember then from what you have fallen. That's a strong word. Like, they were here, and he's saying, listen, you've done great things, but you've fallen. You've fallen, church, in Ephesus. Repent. That means completely turn around and totally change what he's calling, us to, what he's calling them to do. It doesn't say, tell God that you're sorry. That means to change. Repent and what? Do the works you did at first. That's it. The love of God being expressed in these works that they were doing, that they had at first, that he's calling them back to. He's calling them back to saying, like, you were doing this at first and you were expressing that love and you were showing the city and you're showing your love for me He's like, you've got to get back to those same works. It's, it's time to stop going through the motions. It's time to, to, to do this. And this is, it's been, it's, it's been wrecking me, and I think it's a good thing, though. I think it's, I mean, I'm listening to what the Spirit's saying this morning to all of us. Like, there's a time for, he's got to tell me, just return to that first love, John. Stop letting your past hurts stop, you know, stop you. Stop, stop letting your disillusionment stop you from, 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 from spreading the kingdom and, and really going after it, really going after it. Because he has a really strong word for them here. Like, you think it's already strong? This is, and this is Jesus speaking. This isn't me. This isn't, you know, John coming up with something. This is Jesus himself speaking. And he says, he says, if not, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's the lampstand? The church. He's like, church in Ephesus, if you don't return to that first love that you had and do those works that you all were doing at first, I'm going to be real. You're, 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 you're my ambassadors. You are showing the world who I am. I'm just going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove your influence, and the church is going to, be, going to fade away. And so my big question, he also commends them for hating the works of the Nicolaitans and and also says, like, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the, to the churches. This is the Holy Spirit. He is speaking to the churches. So my question, and I don't know the answer to it, but I, it just got me thinking. And I think, I don't know if it was John or Adam or someone was mentioning something about this. And it got me thinking, what, what letter would God write to the church in Murfreesboro? Not what letter would God write to Stones River. Not what letter would God just write to me. Like, we can ask those questions. But I'm saying, like, a church as a whole in our city what are the things that he would say, y'all are doing great here. You're, you're fantastic in this area. You're wonderful here. You're doing good. What are the areas that Jesus would say, but? And what are the things he would call us to repent about and get back to? Or get to doing if we've never done it in the first place? I'm not here to give an answer. I'm here to hopefully stir up thought and thought that, that gets us to also think beyond the walls here that we're in, that begins to get us to think about, well, man, the way that I interact with North Boulevard folks and the way I interact with house church people and the way I interact with people that go to world outreach really matters. <laughs> the way I interact with my family really matters. Because if God wrote a, a letter to the church, what would he say? 
That's it. I just want us to meditate on that. And I'm going to, let's just spend some time meditating on that in a couple minutes. And as always, if someone has something they feel like that's coming from the Lord, you know, I continue to do this because I continue to believe that God speaks through his body. And that Paul, even to the Corinthians, kind of gives this idea that let one prophet speak, let, let, him, let him speak at the same, at different times, listen to that, that God has this body element to us coming together. So let's just listen to the, to the Lord. Maybe he gives us revelation. Maybe he's already doing, maybe he's already speaking to you about this. But Lord, you are worthy of, man, I just, when I talk about how worthy you are, I feel like my words are so empty, like they, they're nothing because of how glorious you are. When I read these passages about the fire in, the, in your eyes, I just, but Lord, you are, you're, you're worthy. I guess I'll use the language that you've given us of everything. God, you are worthy, Lord, of a city being turned right side up. And Lord, I know you're doing great, you're doing works here, Holy Spirit, and I, I hope no one in here thinks that this is a, a message that says that it's all bad. But Lord, we really want to walk in this love that you, that, 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 that you told the Ephesians to get back to, in this obedience to what your Spirit is speaking. And so Lord, as we listen today, I, just, I ask that we would just have just such clarity for what you're wanting to speak to us. As, and I thank you for what you are speaking to us as a whole. And Lord, that maybe there's some things that you would write to the church and that you would, that you would put on our hearts good, bad, whatever it may be, Lord. We just love you, and we want to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, just give us the ears to hear. In Jesus' name. anyone have anything they feel like led to share? Yes. Remember that I make you have a microphone. So I just uh, plainly asked the Lord, um, Jesus, what would you say to your church? And very quickly, I felt like I heard um, to invite me back in. So I'm reminded of how the church was born when the Holy Spirit came. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. Help us to invite you back in with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name.
That's really good. You got something too, Seth? As she was saying that, I, I was just reminded, and this is something personal too, that sometimes we get caught, I think we do get caught up in the programs and the ways to do things. And like you do this to do a church and you do it this way. And I do feel the cry of the Spirit saying, no, let me lead you. Like, I'm, I'm here. This is, it's, not, it's, it's, not the same, it's not the same thing that you copy over and over because then you lose the relationship. And I think that's a big piece. <clears throat> yeah, as I was praying, I was just feeling like the Lord was saying, you've done a really good job at, like, maintaining. But the maintaining has, has caused you to say, well, we're close enough. Why don't we just stay here? Um, and as a whole, is, I think the Lord is saying, there's more work to be done. That's the but. But there's more work to be done. All right, uh, this word was for Amanda and Dean. Um, and I'm only saying in front of all of you because I think everyone should hear it. Um, so right when I was coming up to pray for you guys, uh, he said to, to go down and pray for your feet. Um, shoes have a lot of symbolism. Um, there's a reason why when you put on the armor of God, um, shoes of peace, right? And it's not necessarily walking into a place that's comfortable, but it's walking into a place where God is present, and there, therefore God is peace. Um, he is love, and he keeps no records of wrong, right? Um, but he does keep account of obedience. And so when you walk in obedience, he's saying, son and daughter, I'm proud of you for taking that step and walking in obedience, but continue to bring me in the center of everything, and you will have peace. And so for all of us that um, we walk into these places, our workplace, um, our schools, um, we walk into situations that may be sticky and, and, and smelly. I'm saying that because I have that language of my daughter. But um, magnify me make make me big in your situations and continue to walk in obedience and you will find peace and you will see love and you will see joy in the end you will be thankful um <coughs> One of the things that God has really been putting on my heart recently, um, kind of what John was speaking, was just coming back into a place to where we're falling in love with Jesus again. Like I kept hearing, remember, um, just remembering that that place of intimacy where we once had that fire from him, that, that place to where God has truly delivered us from a lot of things, um, because it's in the moments that we remember that our love for God begins to deepen more and more and more, like every single day. Um, you know, I used to have people tell me, like, I remember when I was your age to where I had such a fire for God, um, and then I strayed away from him, or it, it started to decrease. But I feel like even the more older we become, um, the more that, like, the more younger we should feel in him by falling in love, having that childlike faith. Um, so just remembering that, that place and, um, just not even being afraid of, of saying the hard prayers to the Lord, like saying those prayers, saying, Lord, refine me, Lord, Lord, purify me, Lord, prune me. You know, I feel like we've neglected those prayers because we're afraid of what it might do to us. Um, but those things, when we allow God to do that, it, it draws us closer to his heart, um. So I guess just well, I felt the Lord just for allowing us to be after his heart more and more, being men and women after his heart, like David said. He said, one thing that I desire and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So don't let your walk 
with God and with just a simple desire. Because that's not what David is in. He desired it and then he sought after it. And so just continuing to allow the Lord to um, purify you and to prune you and just to be after his heart. That's what I feel like I heard. So. everyone <clears throat> i was gonna say real quick i haven't said it in a while if anyone needs prayer we have shepherds i can come up here you can ask your neighbor let's 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 pray and join together um yeah <clears throat>